0: Hey, everybody, y'all doing all right? Yeah, good, ready for some barbecue? It's coming, it's coming in just a little while. We're gonna feast on the Word of God first, though. See what I did there? Anyway, um, yeah, y'all, we're gonna have a good time this evening. Um, so there's this word that's been bubbling up, I guess, in, in just my readings here and there and everything, and it's the, it's the word disruption. Uh, and, uh, you know, disruptions are not things that we oftentimes like. Uh, and so here's my question. If you look back 10 years ago, how many of you are living the life you thought you would be living today 10 years ago? Probably not many, right? Because who knows what holds, what, what what the future holds for us? Who knows what 10 years is going to be like from now? And oftentimes, whatever our dreams are, they're tainted by our humanity, right? Oftentimes, when we dream about what's gonna happen next and we, we dream about the future, we, we don't take into account that there are likely going to be disruptions along the way in our lives that we're not gonna like. But those very disruptions are going to lead to life in the future in a way that we never could have imagined. You know, I know for me, when I look back on my life, whenever I was, whenever I was a, a, a boy and, and I was dreaming about the future, who I was gonna marry, what I was gonna do for a living, all that kind of stuff, My life today looks very different than what I was dreaming about. You know, back in the day, I... I I could not have foreseen, and if somebody would have told me that there were going to be these disruptions in my life according to what my plan is, the disruption of bringing um, additional people into our home, uh, specifically children into our home, uh, to share the love of Jesus with through foster care. If somebody would have told me that that disruption was going to happen in my future, I'd have said, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to do that. That is a, that is a disruption that I'm not interested in. Um, if somebody would have told me that my wife was going to go through cancer not once but twice, I'd say, no, thank you. Um, I'd like to not have to walk that disruption, and uh, I don't want anything to do with that. And, uh, and so many of you that are in this room, you're sitting here going, yeah, i got my own disruptions that if somebody would have told me I was going to go through those, I would have said, no, thank you. I'd like to do a different way, and I'd like for the blessing of God to look very different in my life than through these disruptions. And so this word is one that, it's no fun, uh, but I will tell you, while I don't care to repeat the disruptions that have happened over the last 25, 30 years in my life, I will forever cherish them. I will forever cherish them because my life today is far more full than I could have imagined as a young man because I was thinking in a way that was heavily influenced by a societal norm. I was thinking in a way of what what the future looks like through the lens of what me and all my teen friends could dream according to the way this world operates. I couldn't see it what I will tell you today, as I stand here today, and and I know I'm, I'm, I'm standing, I just get the privilege of speaking today, you have the same stories. We're all in this together, and we have the same stories, like different disruptions, but the Lord has worked things out in a way that life is so much more full today. And the only way that outlook is possible is by the power of God through the gospel of Jesus. Otherwise, we get defined by the disruptions. So many people are defined by cancer. So many, their lives are defined by cancer. They're either a cancer survivor, you know, or they're afraid cancer is going to come back, and that's just what they're defined by. So many people are defined by being, you know, a foster parent. You know, they're they're defined by they're defined by uh, divorce, or they're defined by adultery, or they're defined by all these things, and that's what they hang on to as their identity. Disruptions were never meant to be our identity. Never meant to be our identity. The power of God through the gospel of Jesus helps us see disruptions through the lens that God sees them through. And this is the beauty of Paul. (laughs) Paul lived a life of so many disruptions and we've been journeying with him over the last four weeks. We've gone through three missionary journeys and a little intro. Uh, And so we've, we've really enjoyed the time. I hope that you've enjoyed journeying with Paul and the things that we've learned from him. You know, we've learned to expect the unexpected, haven't we? Because it's never too late for the gospel to change a person's life. A very unexpected audience or a very unexpected person, it's never too late. So let's expect the unexpected in God changing a person's heart to God's good. We learned that we can help others know about God through their already existing worldview if we take time to understand it. As we enter into other worldviews and we begin to decipher what is it the person's really looking for? And as they, we discover what they're really looking for, I guarantee you it's Jesus. I guarantee you it is freedom in Christ. And then last week, we learned that God prepares the way for the missionary and we called ourselves missionaries. And we looked at one another across the room and we understood that we are a missionary for the gospel of Jesus here on this earth. And we can trust that every opportunity that we get to share the good news of Jesus, God has already been at work preparing the way for that conversation. Whether we're watering or whether we're uh, sowing seeds, whatever we're doing. God is already ahead of us in those conversations, and we can trust that. And it makes the conversation less intimidating, doesn't it? Because God has already prepared that way. And so tonight we're finishing up this journey, this summer's journey with Paul with this truth. The gospel message is countercultural. And so we're kind of hitting hard with the last one here. Um, this is not a fluffy uh, message by any means. You know, because we, we have to understand that when Jesus showed up on this earth, he turned the world upside down. And that is still happening every single day. It's not that that just happened in the first century and, and now we're just living in that. No, we are still presenting the gospel of Jesus in the world in which we live, and it is very countercultural. And this comes with that word we talked about earlier, lots of disruptions. Good disruptions, hard disruptions, all that stuff. So, Paul gives us context. He helps us see a glimpse into what our lives can and could look like as a missionary here on this earth in a countercultural kind of way. And so, his missionary journeys they cover seven chapters in the book of Acts. And so, across reading these, obviously, these are several years worth of journeys uh, that are here. But we're we're um, Throughout the chapters, there's some overlapping themes that begin to bubble to the top. And so the first thing is this, social disruption. By the gospel being countercultural, there are things that happen whenever we say yes to Jesus and when we usher the Prince of Peace into a social order, there is social, or there is social disruption. Some people don't like that. <laughs> the enemy really doesn't like that. Some people are desperately clamoring for it. Social disruption. The second thing, signs and wonders. Man, the things that happen in Paul's life, we see parallel Jesus himself in some of the healings that took place and in some of the change of people's lives. There is this signs and wonders that's like, whoa, that is far beyond Paul's capability. It's clear that the Spirit is at work in and through him. The next theme is persecution. This would be where the enemy is going to fight really, really hard. And we've said it a million times. If we haven't said it once, we've said it a million times. It's the more and more we say yes, the larger the target gets on our back and the enemy is ready to fight. And if you don't find yourself under attack, you're not a threat. So we see disruptions as a good thing. We count them as pure joy when we face these trials because persecution is a part of the missionary journey. And then finally, we see either rejection or we see acceptance of the gospel message. So there's this theme, social disruption, signs and wonders, persecution and rejection or acceptance of the gospel message across Paul's journey. And thank goodness for Paul. Thank goodness for for God creating and God working through Paul in the way that he did because we exist here today largely in part to Paul spreading the gospel over the entire known world. So here we are. Acts chapter 13 is where Paul's first missionary journey begins. Paul and Barnabas, they quickly established a pattern so we're gonna kind of work through some of these patterns and then we're gonna kind of bring it all to, to, a, to a conclusion here. But here's how the pattern went. First, they would go to the synagogue to speak to the, the Jewish leadership, to the Jewish community, uh, because Paul was, in fact, Jewish. And so he would go to his people. So Paul and Barnabas, they would go through and they would tell the Jews that Jesus or the Christ or the Messiah had come to Israel. So they had the good news. This Messiah that we've been looking for has come. And so he would go first to the synagogue and most oftentimes it was unsuccessful. Upon that unsuccess, he then would go to another group of people known as the Gentiles. Oftentimes the gospel message to the Gentiles was received really, really positively. And so some would look at this as success. Now, by Acts chapter 17, we read that there's now a pattern that's been established. So verse two says, as was his custom. Luke is describing this. He says, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with the Jews, with them from the scriptures. So Luke is describing Paul saying he has now created a customary way to share the gospel. And so even though Paul considered himself an apostle to the Gentiles. Kind of interestingly enough, he calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles. He still has a space in his heart for his people, for the people he longs to come to follow Jesus. He has a heart for the Jews. Romans chapter nine, listen to his words, beginning in verse two. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. I would give up. My eternal salvation, right? For the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Listen to this power. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the hum- human ancestry of Jesus, the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Amen. He's sitting here saying, look, this is God's chosen population of people. And he would sacrifice himself if it could be guaranteed that all of God's chosen people would choose to follow Jesus. What a powerful statement. What a powerful mission that he's called to. But it didn't happen. It made sense that he would seek his fellow Jewish culture first But the difficult truth is that Paul faced rejection after rejection after rejection of the gospel from the group of people that he loved so dearly. Some of you are in this room kind of going, I know how that feels. I know how that feels firsthand in my family. I know exactly how that feels with some of my friends. I know exactly how that feels. It's hard, isn't it? it's disruption in life, it's challenging, it's hard. And we understand that the reason that this is what it is, is because the gospel is counter-cultural. And because it is countercultural, people often would prefer to fit into culture rather than being counter to it. People love to be popular in the culture. People love to be mainstream in the culture. People love to be revered by the culture. And oftentimes it's much easier to simply live that way rather than face rejection and be counter to it. So now that's on the receiving end of the Christ follower, that there's a lot of rejection. It's not rejection of us, it's rejection of Jesus in us. But there's, there's that countercultural rejection that takes place. But what we also can understand is that's kind of the defensive side. The offensive side of the gospel is simply the message of the gospel caused great social disruption as well. And so we have to understand that this is a both and, because throughout Paul's journeys, there were lots of instances when society was turned completely upside down. Now, many of you may remember this story of Jesus that um, he he shows up in this particular place, and there's this man with like a five dollar name, known as the Gerasene demoniac. Right, this there's man who is demon possessed. He's chained to the rocks. He's out um, outside of the city. He's been outcast by the city. And Jesus shows up, and you know the man, you know because he's possessed by a, a demon. He looks at Jesus and tries to, tries to to say he knows his name and tries to have power over Jesus. And then Jesus asks what his name is. He goes, there's too many of us to name. you know." And, and there's, this, there's this massive you know, interaction there. And these demons are cowering at the power of Jesus. They ask to be put into a population of pigs. And so Jesus casts out the demons of the Gerasene demoniac puts them into a group of pigs. The pigs run off the cliff into the ocean, which is another name for hell, and, 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 and drown. Well, it decimates the pig farmer's entire business. The city comes out to find out what's going on because on a regular basis, they would make sport of the garrison demoniac, making fun of him and all that kind of thing. And they chained him, they'd see how strong he was, how strong the demons are in him. And so then all of a sudden, Jesus not only took away livelihood that was there, he also took away sport and entertainment for some of the people that were there. They didn't take too kindly to that. They didn't like it very much. And so here we have Paul In a very similar way, in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, he casts out an evil spirit from one of the slave girls. Now, this slave girl perhaps was owned, not perhaps, sorry, was owned by these owners that used her her demon possession to make money. It's like going to the carnival and seeing, you know, the spectacle that's there. They would make money off of her, and then whenever Paul released her from the oppression, brought dignity to her life, restored her freedom, they created a mob and they hunted down Paul for attacking their money. Because money's powerful, isn't it? People do a lot of things for money. And man, when you start affecting people's checkbooks, they get a little bit stir crazy and crazy, right? Another thing happened in Acts chapter 19. Uh, We got Paul uh, who was teaching against idols. Now, what you have to understand was idols were big business because, man, these people who, you know, depending upon what their trade was, they could make idols out of wood and all kinds of other materials, and they were selling these idols. Well, Paul comes to town, and he starts teaching against idols, which we've talked about in his journeys, right? And it was a threat to the local business. And so this man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, he made the fancy idols, right? Silversmith. Um, He gathered people of all kinds of different trades in the idol creation trades, and they created a mob against Paul to beat him, to stone him, and ultimately to try to kill him. And so I think it's safe to say that social disruption of the gospel came at a very high price for Paul. And I know a while ago we were saying we get we get the disruption of family when someone doesn't take too kindly of the upside-down world of the gospel. I don't know that any of us have been stoned lately. And I don't know if there's been any mobs that have run any of us out of town because of the gospel. But you get the point. The enemy is not going down without a fight because Paul was oftentimes arrested. He wrote lots of letters to different churches encouraging them while he was arrested. He was often beaten and he was often, well, he was even left for dead. And so, It was a great high price, but Paul wasn't deterred. And so we too must not be deterred. He understood that the gospel message is hated by the forces of darkness. We've got to understand that the gospel message is hated by the forces of darkness and the enemy is not going to go down without a fight. And so let's fight. Let's fight the enemy. So every time he faced opposition, he got back up and he kept communicating and bringing the good news of Jesus to people. Now, you might look at this and go, yeah, but Paul was special. I mean, even before he was a Christian, man, he was like the leader of the Jews. He was smart. He was creative. He was clearly a phenomenal leader. He was a man of power. He was a man of of creativity. That's not me, Danny. Now, you're missing Paul here you're missing the point of Paul. All of this wasn't possible because Paul was strong and a powerful leader. All of this was possible because the power of God was at work in Paul. Power of God was at work in Paul. That's what made this possible. And so if you kind of fast forward, all right, there's this man named William Wilberforce, and many of you may know his name. Some of you may not know who he was, He is, uh, or was a British politician. He was also a ph- philanthropist. Um, and uh, when he applied the principles of the gospel, and as there was disruption in his life, there was now disruption through his life in society, and he knew that the institution of slavery in the British Empire had to end. It had to be abolished. This was big business. This was major, because understand, that the empire covered a quarter of the world's surface. And so the act of making slavery illegal was a tremendous societal disruption. Yet he's known today as the father of the British abolitionist movement. It wasn't because he was a strong, powerful leader. It was because the power of God was at work in him. Without the power of God, he's just another dude walking this earth. But Christ in him was the hope for thousands upon thousands of people. And so you may be kind of going, okay, Danny, what is this all about? So what? We've heard the stories of Paul. We know the stories of Jesus. You may have even heard the story of William Wilberforce. What? What is the point? What are we trying to do as we come to a close on the journeys, of, with this journey with Paul? Here's the question: How will your living out the gospel change oppression and brokenness in our community? This is what it comes down to. Every person walking this earth is searching for Jesus. They may be searching for it in a number of ways. It may be fame, fortune, health, wealth. It may be whatever. It may be in relationships. It may be in you know um, a job. It may be in family. It, who knows? But people are looking for Jesus in so many ways. Unfortunately, because of that, it creates climates of people in this earth or on this earth, that are going to push down populations of people rather than honor and elevate over and above themselves like Christ has called us to do. It creates inequality. It creates brokenness in so many ways. Both sides of the aisle, there's brokenness. Every single person is looking for the gospel. They're looking for Jesus. And so the question is, how will you're living out the gospel as the gospel changes you and the way you see people and you see populations and you see what people are living for and why they're living for that way. And you're able to discern the pieces of the gospel that fill in the gaps that are creating whatever circumstances they find themselves in. How is it going to challenge oppression? How is it going to challenge brokenness in our community? And so when you see somebody being mistreated in society, and we see this all the time. Clint and I were at Starbucks the other day. There's this one guy that he was, just, he was just wearing this lady out. It was Juneteenth, he's wearing her out, right? We're like, what in the world is going on here? Fortunately, all it took was just one simple body motion of just leaning, turning our gaze towards him and just kind of leaning in his direction. That's all that was necessary. We've since really enjoyed getting to know her, and it's been really beautiful. It's been really great. Something really simple. So when you see someone who's being mistreated in society, will you fight normal and restore dignity to them? That's really a very basic question because people, yeah, right? Please, please do this. So how about somebody experiencing homelessness? How many, This is kind of the normal practice of we're driving Somebody is experiencing homelessness and what is the thing that we oftentimes will do? Look the other direction, right? Because if you make eye contact, they may approach your car. So we do this number. How about we fight the norm of looking away and instead look right at them? And when they come, we speak to them. And I'm not saying that they need to give anything. I'm not saying, but what I'm saying is, is that it was said years and years ago that when a homeless person sees someone look away, rather than they would, they would much rather see you look at them and acknowledge them as a person. Whether you do anything or not, but just look at them as a person rather than dismissing them like they don't exist. Simple eye contact. How do we fight norms? because we know that who does God see in them? A person, a precious child. And so let's bring dignity, let's bring honor. Let's bring care. How about fighting the norm of our privacy fence society? Man, we've talked about this till we're blue in the face, right? Fight the norm of privacy fence and take the time to honor your neighbors. Just take the time. Get to know your neighbors. Know their name. Know something about them. Know what, what, what kind of, more than what, their, what kind of cars they drive and when they leave for work and when they come home from work. Just know your neighbors. Get to know them. Fight the norm of the individualistic society and let's be communal because the gospel is communal. We fight these norms. How about moving towards those on the outside of society and bring good news with us? People who are sitting alone, we go and sit with. People who are off by themselves, we, we, we simply acknowledge and have a conversation with. The bottom line is, is that these are all pretty easy ways. And I recognize that some of you are sitting here kind of going, hey, I've got some bigger social disruptions that I think we need to be doing. I know that. Across this room, I know you well enough to know there's others that the Lord already has placed social disruptions on your heart. And it's important that you follow in the will and the way of God. See, the gospel is countercultural. The gospel brings value where people are devalued. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, "Gosh, I don't really even know where to begin," what social disruption? Okay, I can look at the homeless. Okay, I can I can do these things. Well, how about Matthew 25? This is one that this is a this is a home base scripture for our body of the kingdom of God. Matthew 25:35 through 40. This is talking about eternity and the King who's separating those who are um, who are entering into the kingdom of God and those who are not. He says, Those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here's, he said, This is what you did. I was hungry and you gave me food. That is a social disruption. Hungry, you give food. Thirsty, and give drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Dignity, eye contact, care for. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will look at God and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answers them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these that he's talking about here, not just the mainstream of these, the one of the least of these that are in need one of the least of these. You did it to Jesus. So when you look into the eyes of the homeless, guess who you're looking at the eyes of? Yeah. When you look at that child who comes from a really hard place and their behavior is completely out of line, guess whose eyes you're looking into? Jesus. Jesus whenever you see the person who's oppressed or down and out or, or, or in need in whatever way, guess who you see? Yes. And so as we do to them, we do unto the Lord. This is how we disrupt a society that says bigger, better, faster, more. That says power, money, fame, fortune when Jesus' kingdom says things like service, care, compassion, forgiveness, peace, patience. See, these are very different outcomes. And I promise you, when we begin to bring dignity, as Christ has brought dignity to our lives, it will change the world. As we meet physical needs, we will get the opportunity to paint the picture and to meet spiritual need as we care in a way that Christ has cared and showed us how to care through Paul, it will change the world. But what we must understand, disruptions come at a price and the enemy doesn't like it. The enemy loves to make people feel shame and feel disgrace. The enemy loves that and does not like it when we bring dignity to this. So if the enemy's not gonna go down without a fight, But may the world see that these disruptions are not because you're powerful. They're not because you're a good leader. These disruptions are because the power of God is at work in you. And when the power of God is at work in you, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear of what might be, what fiery dart might be shot at you. Nothing to fear. May they see the disruption because the power of God is at work in you and may we not grow weary in doing good because we know at the proper time there is a harvest of souls that get the opportunity to experience what God has always wanted for them in their lives because we have lived this life and God has been telling his story through us and we've gotten to sow seeds and we've gotten to to water And God is the one that is making them grow. He's already at work in front of us. Let's expect the unexpected. Let's enter into people and in their circumstances and in their worldview, and let's see what they're really looking for. And then let's enter and usher in the Prince of Peace. What we're saying is, let's let's follow Paul's example and let's make Christ known to the whole world. The entire world, us, Legacy Church, God longs to, when you're here, when you're overseas, through our international works that we get to partner with, let's make Christ known to all the world. This is the call that we've all received. Let's do it. Father, we love you and we praise your name. And Lord, as we kind of put a stamp on our time together in this missionary journey, Lord, I pray that you help us to usher Christ in to whatever circumstances, to whatever situations, to whatever you long for us to do. Lord, I pray that while we look and it's easy for us to see disruptions in our life and to see that it's a lot easier to go a different way. It's a lot easier to just do our own thing. But Lord, may we, in a moment of courage, in a moment of um, compassion, in a moment of forgiveness, in a moment of, of, of supernatural grace and mercy. May we stay the course, Lord. Lord, I pray that you help us because we are missionaries here. May we, may we own and may we embrace and identify as that here on this earth. And as we understand our true identity, Father, I pray that we stand on your word and Lord, we care in a way that you care. And when we look into the eyes of people, we know we're looking into your eyes. And so Lord, may we serve, care, and may we tell your good news like we're doing it to you. We love you and we praise your name today. And we pray this through the name of Jesus, amen.